before we get into this first uh, talk, real talk, uh, I wanted to make some comments just about this series of talks that we're going to have. Uh, the, the first comment would be that um, we could have probably called this series a You Asked For It series, which we've done from time to time, because that's really where these three topics have come from. Uh, we have found in the last number of months just an increasing number of emails that we've received or questions from uh, young adults or curious parents or location pastors getting quizzed or ultimately our family life pastors getting asked, you know, what, what does our church and our leadership believe the Bible says about these particular Subjects, And so just in case you're wondering where these topics are coming from, uh, we're hoping that they're helpful to you. And in the spirit of kind of giving an answer to those questions in a more efficient way, we're going to treat these talks as kind of one collective talk uh, on each subject instead of having that talk again and again and again repeatedly. And so even uh, in our video form that'll be available online, we hope that that uh, can be sort of a reference for these talks and can have some legacy moving forward. Second comment I want to make is about the order of the talks, uh, especially after my kids asked me last Sunday when they heard about this series, they said, Dad, is that the way it's supposed to work? Dating, then sex, then marriage? They all had big grins on their faces. And so I feel like a little bit of corrective needs to be made here. Um, we feel like there is kind of one foundational idea or kind of biblical truth or, or value uh, for each of these three weeks. And we feel like these biblical values actually build one on top of the other. So that's where the order of the, the sequence is coming from. This is not intended to suggest that this is the uh, relational pattern of how things ought to work, just so we're clear. And since we've already opened up the, the word sex, I, I do want to make uh, some specific comments uh, about that. Um, we are only going to talk about sex and sexuality on one of these mornings, okay? The sex talk on week number two. Dating, we're going to talk about other things. And actually, uh, on the morning on marriage, we're going to talk about other things. So, uh, if you're a parent and you're maybe uncomfortable to have your kids in, in uh, one of those environments, that would be week two or uh, vice versa, if you really are curious and want to know what we have to say about sex and sexuality, uh, week two is particularly the one you want to pay attention to. Uh, dating, I suppose, is kind of a long weekend talk that we can, that we can afford to give. So uh, having said those things, now that we're going to get into the talk on dating, uh, I also want to provide a couple disclaimers or comments about this talk. The first is for us to appreciate that the Bible actually says next to nothing when it comes to modern day dating. Okay, the Bible was written in a time where, for the most part, marriages were like prearranged. So, you know, if, if you were a parent, you, you, you would kind of perform this transaction, you know, you read in the scriptures, fathers would take their, their sandal off and kind of like a, a, a property exchange, they would hand it to the other father in order to kind of seal the deal on this marriage. And so, you know, parents out there, if you really want to be biblical and you see a kid that you would love to become part of your family by uh, marrying and, or dating one of your, uh, one of your kids, uh, by all means, this summer, take one of your flip-flops off and just give it to the parent and uh, they'll 
all understand that you're trying to be biblical. Uh, in addition, appreciate that, you know, in, in even in the first century, but uh, certainly in the Old Testament times, multiple marriages were common. You know, they lived in families of, of you know, harems and polygamy and things like that. And, and so, truth be told, if, if we really wanted to respond to what the scriptures kind of reveal at their plain reading, well, we could really get creative here. So I, I just, I say all that to appreciate how little scripture speaks to modern day dating so that when we get into questions like, you know, should we date a, a lot of people rather casually or should we only date, you know, individual people, ideally one in a, in a really serious for marriage kind of purposed way, what we would call in Christian circles as courting instead of dating or, you know, if we're into conversations about whether we should be solo dating or group dating or what our curfew should be when we're dating, all of those ideals and values come from parents, not from scripture, okay? They come from parents and not from scripture. I want us to be clear on that. And uh, certainly the Bible teaches to honor your father and mother. So if we want to have a, a morning on what it means to honor your father and mother, that's a different conversation. It doesn't fall necessarily into the bandwidth of biblical dating, okay? So I just wanted to be clear on that. The other thing, and this is probably the most important one that I want to clarify, is I want to be abundantly clear that in addressing a morning to the topic of dating, I do not want to suggest that dating is a necessity for singles. Okay, I don't want you to give you the impression that because we're talking about dating, if you're single and you're not dating, you're not normal. I say that because I, I have many friends that are single and I, I know the heartache and the pressure and the expectation and even the judgment and the guilt and the shame if you're single and not in a relationship that actually is exacerbated in many cases uh, in Christian circles. And so I want to say something at the front end that we've said before, but I just want to say it again uh, in the spirit of the biblical teaching by the Apostle Paul in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 7, where he says to the church there, I wish that all of you were unmarried as I am. I wish that all of you were unmarried as I am so that we can appreciate that if there's any status that is disproportionately elevated in scripture, it's actually the status of singleness, not of marriage. Because the status of singleness and the way that it allows for undivided devotion and undistracted service to God. Jesus himself was unmarried. And so I, I, I want to give this talk because of all of the you asked for it questions that are kind of out there. We want to respond to that in a collective way. But I hope and pray that if you're in a place today where you are finding yourself living under this pressure, either internally or externally, that you would know that we know, and hopefully that you know, that it is more than okay to be single. Don't let this conversation on dating feel like you have to all of a sudden be, be dating or something's wrong, okay? Now, having said that, uh, we want to get into the talk today. And, and uh, when it comes to the talk on dating, and particularly the talk on close relationships and on selecting people to be in your closest relationships, which, which is essentially the purpose that dating ultimately serves, I want us to camp out uh, in one particular uh, kind of instruction of the Apostle Paul in his second letter to the Corinthians uh, in chapter 6 where it says this in verse 14. 
Paul says there, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? The biblical instruction here is to not be, in Paul's language, to not be yoked together with unbelievers. To not be what's called unequally yoked. Now, you might not have no idea what that even means, so I want to kind of walk us through that. Um, a, a, a yoke in New Testament times it is uh, kind of this wooden plank that would kind of bind two animals together and as well was attached to like a cart or a plow that this pair of animals would pull. Uh, just to give you an image, uh, we've got one, you can see it on the screen, of uh, a couple animals. They're yoked together here. Doesn't that look romantic? They're, they're, they're yoked here. And so in being yoked together, to be equally yoked is simply to represent the idea of sharing the load kind of equally and reciprocally that you are trying to together carry. It's kind of an equal distribution of load. And uh, certainly in uh, first century times when the Apostle Paul was speaking to people of faith in 2 Corinthians 6, they would have generally been familiar with the intent of God to, for, for people of faith to not be unequally yoked because it was also a, a command uh, in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 22 verse 10. It says there, uh, do not plow with an ox and a donkey yoked together. So today, if you're in a relationship and you're wondering, you know, if, if one of you is an ox and one of you is a donkey, I'll say that that's not probably a, a productive conversation to have. Uh, but but it, it kind of illustrates the breakdowns when unequal yoking takes place. Because when unequal yoking takes place, there's kind of two detriments. To the animal that's trying to move faster, uh, the, the, the slower animal will kind of frustrate that animal. They'll, they'll hold them back. And to the animal that's moving slower, the, the faster animal and kind of pulling them along, you can imagine the yoke kind of yanking on their neck. It, it actually would put them in quite a bit of discomfort or even pain. And so unequal yoking isn't just unproductive for the cart or plow that you're pulling. Unequal yoking is actually unproductive for the animals themselves. And applied to people and to close relationships, the idea of equal yoking is meant to kind of represent a shared compatibility of spiritual capacity. That's what equal yoking intends to represent. A shared capacity of kind of reciprocal capability to support and stimulate one another spiritually to kind of equally share the load. Now, when it comes to what the Bible says about essentially dating, choosing people that you would be in close relationship with, that's basically the big idea to avoid being unequally yoked and to pursue equal yoking. And so the question that it often immediately stimulates then is the question of why? In human relationships, in dating relationships, in close relationships, why would that matter so much? And to respond to that, I, I want to do that in kind of two phases. The first phase is to appreciate that from God's perspective, what he cares about the most is not whether we're dating. I've already said that in Elevating Singleness. Right? The relationship that God cares about the most is not a human relationship that we have. It's the relationship that we have with him. 
And I know for many of us, when it comes to dating, especially if we're single, we can kind of stress over whether we're dating, whether we should be dating, and if we're dating, you know, what the person we would be dating would look like, or what they would do for a living, or whether they could support us financially, or you know, whether we have shared interests, or any commonalities, what their personality is like, whether our parents like them or approve of them. We can stress about all kinds of things when it comes to dating. But in his most famous sermon, Jesus addressed the kind of details that people stress about in our day-to-day. And he said, hey, don't worry about those. If you're a person of faith, don't worry about those. Instead, in uh, Matthew 6, 33, he said, instead of worrying, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things will be given to you as well. Basically, make your relationship with God your primary concern, and out of the closeness and primacy of that relationship, God will kind of work out the rest of the details of your life. Maybe not necessarily in the way that you would necessarily want or hope, but God will work them out in a way that is best for you and brings out your best. Right? To seek first his kingdom, God will kind of take care of the rest. So the, the, the first move is to appreciate that the most important relationship in our lives is actually the relationship we have with God, especially as people of faith. The second thing to consider then is that the greatest influence in that relationship is actually the people closest to us. We've talked about this already this year. You can go back to our January series called Friendship Matters. And uh, you can look at each of the, the, the mornings, especially the last one, that gets into the spiritually supportive and spiritually transformative role that relationships can play in our lives. Uh, we looked at, among other things, the, the proverb in Proverbs 27, 17, that says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Right? We heard the, the quote in, in that series that if you show me your close friends, you show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Our friends, especially those closest to us, our closest relationships, have the greatest capacity to influence our lives. And so, kind of building those blocks together, this is really the big idea behind the value of equal yoking. This is the talk boiled down into kind of one sentence. If, as a person of faith, if... The most important part of my life is my life with God. And if the greatest influence of my life with God are the closest people around me, then my decision of whom to date, the decision of who would be the closest person around me, is not only arguably the most critical decision that I could ever make, but the criteria of that person that they be capable of stimulating and influencing my life with God ought to be the primary criteria. That's the value behind equal yoking. It enables the greatest influence in our lives to affect us the most about what matters most to us if we're people of faith. It allows the greatest influence to affect us in the greatest way in what matters most in our lives. That's kind of the heartbeat or the why behind the value of equal yoking. I want you to notice when we're talking about equal yoking, even from the perspective of animals, that it requires a little bit more than just some basic commonality. Oftentimes in spiritual circles, when we think about the value of equal yoking, we reduce it to simply what we call shared identity. 
When in reality, equal yoking has far more to do with shared intensity. And there's a difference, right? Applied to faith, you know, we can look around and, and lots of people would kind of self-identify as Christian simply because they come from Christian cultures or maybe they grew up going to church or whatever. They would kind of identify themselves in that way. We might have a shared identity or they'd call themselves a believer because they prayed a prayer when they were a kid, even though, you know, faith may not be a, a priority in their lives at all. We might have shared identity. But if you think back to the image of the animals, right, just because two animals are animals, they have a shared identity, doesn't mean that they have shared intensity. It's the shared intensity that provides the shared spiritual capacity to reciprocally bear and support and stimulate the spiritual load of one another's lives and your lives together. And you think about that practically for just a moment and you, know, you realize that a, a life of faith is quite a countercultural thing. A life of faith in many ways is simple, but it's not easy. You know, to, to, to just think about the, the time investments of being all in in a life with God. Or the, the financial stewardship of viewing your life and your possessions not as yours, but as on loan from God to use for his purposes. You know, to think about the, the values of hospitality and inclusivity, even reaching out to those on the margins, even to those you might be uncomfortable around. You know, values of generosity or faithfulness or grace in relationships, forgiveness, conflict resolution, all those kinds of things. And think about how difficult all those ideals of God are to actually live out if you're a person of faith. It might be simple, but it's not easy, right? Many times it's hard. You know what makes it exponentially more hard, right? More difficult is having to convince those closest and ultimately to have to convince your life partner or your eventual life partner to actually care about or value those things and to constantly be kind of persuading them or arguing that there's even merit to pursuing those things, right? That's the dynamic, the challenge that unequal yoking provides. Never mind in your own spiritual well-being. When you think about the way that, that close relationships can shape us and transform us and how difficult that would be aligning yourself with someone who isn't that interested in faith, interest, isn't that interested in learning, isn't that interested in growing, isn't really interested in praying or, or, or being changed or challenging or being held to account or, or, or repenting or you know, any of those transformational things, let alone playing that role in your life, it becomes extremely difficult if not, at some level, impossible. Nothing's impossible with God. But it becomes extremely difficult to allow God to realize the best version of yourself in him if you make that choice of unequal yoking. Gang, it's a big deal. And so in a lot of ways, I hope that we're hearing today not just that the value of pursuing equal yoking in dating is a, a, a lesson on who we ought to date, I hope that practically speaking, it's also a lesson on how we ought to date. Because for many of us, you know, we assume that dating is just kind of a, a, a cultural norm where we go and do fun things with other people, right? And at the end of the day, that the, there's some danger in that, especially if the relationship is ultimately going to get serious or, or permanent. I know in many cases, I've talked in pastoral counseling uh, settings with newlyweds who actually feel 
Like the person that they ended up marrying is very different than the person they dated. And, and I've actually had one person say that, that their now spouse uh, actually flat out lied to them. They lied to me, they said, because the person I'm married to is not the person I dated. You know what my response was? <laughs> the person you married was not the person you dated. And here's why. I compare it to kind of the iceberg effect is what I call it. And if you visualize an iceberg with, with 10% of the iceberg above the waterline, the other 90% below the waterline, the 10% above the waterline is the 10% that we kind of show people in a dating context. Because typically when we're, when we're in a dating relationship, we're showing a person the best version of ourselves. The kind of made up, done up, you know, go out, do fun things, kind of best version of ourselves. And then all of a sudden the relationship is, get serious or, you know, we end up being married and all of a sudden we start to see below the waterline, the other 90% of us, that's a, a, a worse version of ourselves, a lazier version, a more tired version or, or exhausted version, a more selfish version, kind of the bedhead, bad breath version of ourselves. And, and, you know, so often in dating, we're only paying attention to what's above the waterline, not below the waterline, when in fact, if we're going to pursue the value of equal yoking, and we're going to make the condition and the priority of spiritual capacity to support and stimulate my relationship with God, our primary concern, we're going to have to look below the waterline and to kind of get under the hood of the person and the way that they live. And, and to kind of get a, a sense for their values, not just the way that they uh, behave or the things that they're into on a date. Now that kind of drives uh, a couple questions or objections. The, the, the first one, and I often hear this from people um, when they're considering dating someone who you know, may not bring a faith condition to the table, but typically is uh, inordinately attractive. And they'll, they'll, they'll say, hey, you know, do you, do you think that since God is so interested in reaching people for Jesus, that it would be a great idea for me to reach this gorgeous specimen of a person for Jesus by being in a closer relationship than I am with them now and dating them? What, what do you think about that? And my response is, you know, in Christian circles, we refer to that as missionary dating. And you know, I want us to just appreciate in the value of equal yoking that missionary dating essentially is the equivalent of playing God. It's saying, God, I know you value relationships to work according to these values and criteria, but I'm going to take matters own, in my own hands and believe that I can do better than, than your vision for my life. That's playing God. And all I'm going to say about that is if you remember back a few weeks when we were into uh, chapter three and four of our study of the book of James, we were talking about that morning about our futures and we learned there that there's arguably no greater way to be far from God than to have a heart that wants to play God. That was a danger that James warned us about. There arguably is no greater way to be further from God than to be in a heart that plays God. Missionary dating is playing God. That's all I want to say about that. But it does kind of create a bit of a problem then for those of us who are considering dating because if equal yoking and not just shared identity but shared intensity is going to be the primary criteria on which we would select someone to date, then it really narrows the field, doesn't it? And it puts us in a situation where we're looking around a very limited set of options, you know, typically around a faith community like this, or maybe some social settings, if we have faith-based social settings. And, you know, we're not too sure that the, you know, Mr. or Mrs. Wright might, might be out there. Um, and, and we might feel like there's kind of slim pickings. 
And that can make matters even worse and more anxious and more pressure filled because we feel like the, the, the field is so narrow. Just to kind of take a break and, and take the pressure off this, I, I, I want to show you a little video that uh, kind of plays a spoof on this. Uh, advertising a made-up, albeit, uh, made-up Christian website called Christian Tingle. Check this out. My name is Rebecca Esther Sarah Bathsheba. And I'm John. And I found God's match for me on ChristianTingle.com. I joined Christian Tingle after going on over 50 dates on other online dating sites. I forgive you. Thanks. I never went on a second date um, after I mentioned that I was saving hand-holding for marriage. So I joined the website, and as soon as I saw your picture, I thought, man, she is hot. Babe. What? You are. When I saw her Facebook profile picture, I was like, I've always wanted a woman that's had the most devoted devotional ever devoted. Honestly, I wasn't very attracted to him at first. This is real love. Tell him about the ceremony. I think what we really wanted was a worship service. We made sure that we had communion on the way in, we had communion on the way out. Yeah. We had communion during our vows. Obviously, we didn't have a bar at the reception, so we had more communion. One thing most people don't know about with Christian Tingle is there's an app that you can get for your smartphone. When we were dating, mm -hmm. I feel like the app was just, it was a godsend. When you keep it in your pocket and you're on a date, it'll send an alert every time that your phone goes from portrait to landscape. <laughs> if it wasn't for the Father, the Son, and the Christian Tingle, I wouldn't have met the love of my life. If you're looking for someone to date, other than Jesus. Look no further than ChristianTingle.com. So here's the question we ultimately want to look at this morning. If we're to pursue this biblical value in dating of equal yoking, shared intensity, not even just shared identity, is that actually all we have to look forward to? Is there a way to somehow do better than that? Because what if we want to honor God and live according to his ideals, but we aren't into that, right? Then what do we do? And I ask that because, you know, many singles that I talk to find themselves exactly in that seeming lose-lose condition where they feel like their options are either to viol violate this ideal of God's for equal yoking and go and date someone outside of the bandwidth of faith or kind of settle for someone inside the bandwidth of faith that they're really not into, that they're really not otherwise compatible with outside of spiritually and they might not even be attracted to or have a lot of shared interest in. They, they're, they're just, they feel like they're settling or ascribing to a, a mold just to kind of stay within the rules. And it feels like, you know, for a person applied to dating that they've only got two options. I can either dishonor God, which I don't want to do, or I can kind of obey the rule, which my heart also isn't into. And so now what do I do? And if you're in that place, I want to kind of address this dynamic because this dynamic actually can speak into every one of these talks where we may feel like there are only lose-lose options in front of us. Either dishonor God, abandon his ideal for our lives, or stay within his ideal for our lives, but have our heart not into it because we want to just obey the rule, right? If we're in that place, 
uh, I want to share something from the Apostle Paul again, uh, this time in Galatians chapter 5. He says there, to walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so you are not to do whatever you want. When you walk by the Spirit, you're not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under law. You're not to do whatever you want. And if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under law. See, Paul is speaking to this idea of a walk, a journey, the way that we live our lives. And he's talking about walking by, he calls it the Spirit. Literally living your life empowered by the risen life of Jesus Christ. Paul is referring to the gospel, the good news of Jesus. That Jesus didn't just come to, to earth and die for our sins so that we could be forgiven. He rose again and made his spiritual life available so that we could be empowered. And so that he could live his life through ours. And so that he could enable us to live his ideals through his strength. Not just, you know, individually on our own. It's wonderful, wonderful good news. But he says, when that happens in this case, when we live by the Spirit, two things are true. On the one hand, we're empowered to not just do whatever we want. What he calls living by the flesh. Succumbing to our own kind of natural urges or temptations or desires. When we're living by the Spirit, we're empowered to not just do whatever we want, but we're also, he says, when you live by the Spirit, not under the law. When we live by the Spirit, we're in a place of freedom and abundance where we're not just making choices according to rules when our heart's not in it, just trying to follow a bunch of rules and check a bunch of boxes. So for those of us applied to dating who are feeling like we might be in this circumstance of a lose-lose where when I look ahead, all I see are the options of either dishonoring God or, you know, dating someone in my heart, not into it, just obeying the rule. There actually is an alternative that God provides called living by the Spirit. And I don't know exactly what that would look like for you, but I think one of the things that living by the Spirit can do in those of us who are single and feeling this lose-lose pressure is alleviate that pressure by alleviating the expectation or need to date in the first place. Appreciating again the biblical value of singleness and appreciating again that you are in a far better place for God to make his best life out of yours individually as a single person than you are with the wrong person. Either the wrong person, you know, outside of faith or the wrong person you just picked inside the faith but your heart wasn't into it. Right? You are going to be better off. You're going to be free and abundant for God to bring out his best self in you on your own, not having to choose that lose-lose. And I believe that first things first, God can free us up from that lose-lose by helping us to embrace the opportunity for him to bring out our best selves, our best transformation, our best service to him, our best legacy, our best contribution to his purposes on earth as an individual person, not even needing to be in a relationship. Hopefully that can free us up then to kind of look around and be free to shop on the top shelf and be picky and, and, and actually choose someone if someone, when someone would be appropriate and our heart would be into it and it would be in the bandwidth of God's design. And I say these kinds of things, obviously, with a, a degree of passion. And some of you might be wondering, you know, where, where, where this passion comes from. And, and, uh, I feel like personally there, there are some things in my life and my experiences that uh, 
that have made me care about this uh, an awful lot. And I, I don't normally talk about them, but since we're having the talk today, uh, I'll, I'll share a couple of them. Uh, one of them, I think, is just the way I grew up. Um, said many times that one of the key driving forces for me to even getting into church work was to try to create a church that made enough sense of Jesus so that a guy like my dad would be able to see him and embrace faith through that kind of church community. Because growing up, my mom kind of dragged her, myself and my siblings to church, and my dad, you know, wasn't really as into it. And that was kind of confusing for me growing up. Uh, and I share that just so people appreciate that you know, not you know, being necessarily on a, on a same spiritual page doesn't just affect you. It actually affects a lot of people around you. And growing up as a kid, that was, that was always kind of confusing for me. I could never, never understand what, what, was really, what, what really should be important in my life. But besides that, where I want to go with this is, you know, you know in my story that uh, after a few years uh, in church work, my dad did come to faith and uh, I got the thrill about 15 years ago baptizing him and you know, in these last years, I've been able to watch my parents, you know, relate together from a shared kind of faith center. And uh, just a couple months ago, we celebrated my mom and dad's 50th wedding anniversary. We were in Mexico with them at spring break. That was when their anniversary was. And uh, then a couple weeks ago, we had a party here in Niagara for some of their, some of their Niagara friends. And, you know, when I, when I kind of take a step back and reflect on the life that they get to live today, you know, the life group that they get to be a part of. Some of you across our locations are part of that life group. It's just a sacred, sacred group of friends that they share. And the ministry that they get to be involved in together, among other places, primarily in our St. Catherine's shelter. And the number of friendships and the lives that they've affected and have affected them. And even the personal transformation in the two of them because of the way that they're nurturing each other's faith. I mean, you know, little example, my parents' 50th anniversary, my dad got my mom 50 roses. And on each of the 50 roses, he wrote a note of appreciation, kind of a I love you for 50 different times and attached them to each of the 50 roses. And, you know, I remember seeing him do this in Mexico and I thought, man, if God can get a lockier male to verbally affirm a female that much. I mean, this is just, this is miraculous stuff. But I share all that um, kind of personally, just so that we can appreciate, at least from my experience, and I've seen it in many other people, the, the difference between the life you can live when you're not necessarily on the same spiritual page and the life that you can enjoy when that is something you share together, those qualities of life, those kinds of life are literally incomparable. They are literally incomparable because if the thing that matters most is your life with God and the greatest influence on what matters most are the people closest to you, then your life partner matters. This decision, these criteria matter. Which is why in my own life, uh, there was a time where I had to actually face that decision for myself. I've also shared with you before that coming out of university, I uh, wasn't in a, really a faith place at all, and got to a point where I didn't like the person I was becoming. And it resulted in a hard right turn of getting on track with God and one thing kind of led to another after that. But in that era, uh, I was in a dating relationship, uh, quite a long dating relationship, actually. And as that logic started to sink in and I started to think about what I wanted my life to be about, uh, I had to end that relationship. 
had to, to break up with this person I was dating. And I, I don't talk about that. I don't even really want to talk about that. But I share that only so that we can appreciate that just because you are a follower of Jesus does not mean you can't break up with a person you're dating. And I say that because I am sure that there are some of us that are in less than ideal relationships today, but the thing that because Jim, J Jesus is such a peacemaker, such a unifier, that I can't possibly cause that kind of disunity and hardship, unless you are married and it's permanent, we're going to talk about that in week three, even if you're engaged, okay, you can call this off. And I am confident that there is someone across our locations today, if not watching this online afterwards, that God is impressing on your heart that this is actually a choice that you need to make. And you need to know that as difficult as that is, other people, including myself, have had to make that choice. Which then led in my life, uh, you know, a year or so later, to a conversation I was having with a girl uh, who was serving on our youth leadership team with me. This girl had just started a new school and was kind of making new friends at this new school. It's certainly a delicate place to be. And she was sharing this conversation that she was having with these new friends that day about who their kind of dream man would be. You know, Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt, like who, who's your dream man? And she shared with us that she had shared with these friends that her dream man was someone who would resemble her dad. And these friends suddenly looked at her like she had two heads. And then she further went on to explain that the reason that she wanted someone like her dad was because her dad revealed Jesus to her. And I remember thinking how kind of gutsy, if not crazy, that was for this girl to share that with these friends in this new school, in this time where these relationships were kind of delicate and peer pressure would have been its highest. And I was struck in that moment, uh, what, what struck me, and I've told Becky this many times, that, that what I sensed at that time was that this was a person who was actually prepared to do whatever it took to realize God's best for her life. And when I first asked Becky out on a date, I shared with her that story. I said, this is why I'm asking you out on a date. This is why I'm asking you to start dating me because of this criteria. And I share all that, kind of the, the, the from and to, and I, I, I share all that only to say this. When I think of my life today, and I think about anything that God has been able to do uh, in me or especially through me. I actually believe that none of that would have been possible had I not made that combined choice to kind of embrace that criteria for the person who would be the greatest influence of me. The person who would support and stimulate my life of faith and ministry and things like that. I, I, I actually believe that Everything God has been able to do in and through my life is a product of really, at some level, albeit empowered by God, give God the credit, but that single decision. And so if you're in a place today when you're wondering why this matters, understand from my, from my perspective, there is no greater decision for your life than you could ever make. And I hope that you can feel my heart on this and how much I care about this for you, that you would not settle for anything less than God's very best for your life and future. And that when it comes to dating, if dating, that you would know that you know that you know that when it comes to dating, choosing a person who will have the greatest influence on what matters most will probably be the greatest decision you will ever make.
If you're in that place today, let me say a prayer for you. Let's pray together. God, in the spirit of these talks being kind of you asked for at mornings, um, I want to specifically pray for people who would be curious about your ideals for dating relationships. And I pray that you would impress on our hearts, God, a freedom to not necessarily even need to be dating, that you'd set us free from the pressure and the expectation and the, the potential lose-lose that that puts us in and free us up by your spirit to embrace your vision and your ideal for what matters most when it comes to dating. Not only who, but also how we employ that value of biblical yoking. God, impress on our hearts how significant a decision it is to select who it would be that would be the greatest influences in our lives for what ultimately can matter most in this world. And I pray that you would give us the courage to make those choices, empower us by your spirit, to live in the freedom and abundance of your life, enabling us to make wise and appropriate choices. And that whether we're single or in a relationship, God, that you would bring out our best self in you that you would allow us to experience life to the full as we aspire to pursue your vision and values for our lives. We thank you that you want to do this among us and we look forward to you continuing to do that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.